Well, if you got your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be looking at John, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Have you ever met one of those people that uh, when they did something, you, you immediately said, uh, maybe you said it internally or you actually said it out loud, uh, you said, it's like you were born to do and whatever that was. I mean, you met that person who they just seem to be, just have an intuitive knowledge, like they were born really good at crunching numbers, and they're the accountant in your company, and you're like, it's like this person was just born with numbers running around through their brain. It just comes so naturally to them. Or you meet somebody who is a musician or a, a singer, or you find somebody along the way that they're just really great at this one thing, and you just think, gosh, it was just like they were born to do this, or they were just born for this moment. I mean, you think about a quarterback of a, of a championship football team who gets put in at the second half of a, of a game, and I'm just up here making a sermon illustration. Why, why the booze? But it's like all of their life, whether it's what they were born with naturally, with athletic skill, or whether it's been what seems to be years of preparation, and it just all seems to conspire together that it was just like, that's just what you were born to do. Maybe you've had one of those moments in your own life where everything just seemed to line up. All the circumstances, all the people, all the details... And suddenly, in your heart of hearts, you felt just the absolute, perfect, peaceful, complete satisfaction. It's like this, this is the moment that everything has aligned for. We're going to look this morning at the beginning parts of a guy's life, that that is really the definition uh, of who he is, and it's, it's John the Baptist. So here in, in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, I'm just going to read a few verses down through verse 9. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, let's pause and pray for a moment. Father, Lord, your word that you have given to us is absolutely astounding. That you would love us so much and so deeply and so desperately want us to know who you are uh, with such passion that you would give us a revelation of yourself, we thank you for that. And we ask that through these few verses here in the Gospel of John that you would both reveal yourself and show us who we are. Lord, we want to know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this passage, there is one of those uh, awesome, wonderful, great, so that phrases. It, it, it says uh, there in verse 7, 
that he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in him. Let me ask you, what is your so that in life? What is it that you do so that something will happen? What is it that you put all of your mind's attention and all of your body's activity and all of your heart's affections into so that something is going to become the is going to be the outcome of that? We all have a so that there is something that you spend all of your energies on so that something is going to happen. And sometimes our so that gets a little tangled and twisted and it becomes all about us. Sometimes our so that gets a little off kilter and it becomes about something of the world. Here what we find in the Gospel of John, which is a different John from John the Baptist, is that he's got a very particular so that. Uh, Another guy by the name of John, his name is Jonathan Edwards. He was a a great preacher here on the American continent, perhaps the greatest uh, mind that our continent has ever had. Jonathan Edwards was a a pastor in New England. He was later the president of Harvard University. He's one of the greatest preachers of history. He once said in one of his messages, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory, and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory, and that these two are actually one passion. He, he, he described it as that his great passion should be for the glory of God, and that he should have joy in glorifying God, so that ultimately these two passions are actually one. And I think that that is what we find in the larger story of John the Baptist as he is this forerunner for Jesus. I want to walk through this passage, uh, just these few verses that I have read, explain a couple of the details along the way, and then give a few points that I I hope will be helpful for us. We need to see that, that John the Baptist pointed to the light. This is what he did. We get an introduction of John the Baptist in the, also in the Gospel of Luke that precedes John. And, and in that particular Gospel, we learn that he is born in somewhat miraculous circumstances uh, to two people named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and when the archangel Gabriel comes along and tells Uh, Zechariah, who is a godly man and is a priest, that his wife Elizabeth, even in their older age, is going to have a baby. Zechariah doesn't really believe it. He scoffs at the idea. And so Gabriel says, as a sign, uh, you're going to become mute uh, while she is carrying the baby. And all the women said, amen, if my husband would have just shut up while I was carrying this baby. And so, as it happens, the angel also visits Elizabeth. She informs her, uh, he informs the Elizabeth that, that, that they should name the baby John, which is very unusual because there was nobody named John in their family. And the ancient custom among Hebrew people is that you named a son after a father or a beloved male figure in the family. So, eventually, uh, the time comes, the baby is born. And it says in Luke chapter 1, at the end of that particular chapter, when the baby is born, when John is born, and they name him John, and then Zechariah 
uh, tongue is loosed, uh, to the great chagrin of Elizabeth, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he makes this prophecy. He sings this song of praise. And part of the song of praise uh, here in Luke 1, 76, uh, verses 76 and 77, he says about his own son, he says, and you child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, he's, John the Baptist is going to be the guy who is the forerunner. He's going to go before the Lord in order to give people knowledge to help them to understand what is about to happen. In, in, in real kind of biblical fashion, John the Baptist is the last prophet of the Old Testament covenant. He's the last prophet who's going to proclaim that the Savior that we've been waiting for is showing up. Later on in the Gospel of Luke again, in Luke chapter 7, there is uh, John the Baptist's life takes uh, a pretty tough turn. He is arrested. He's eventually going to be executed uh, as an enemy of the state. And in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is imprisoned, and he sends some of his pupils to go and ask Jesus, are you really the guy? Are you the guy? You know, are you really the guy that we've been waiting for? I've been out here preaching, and I'm now being persecuted. I've been imprisoned. So are you really the guy? And it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, uh, that he, he tells him, he summons the two of his disciples. He says, go and ask the Lord, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And in verse 20, here in Luke 7, they say, John the Baptist sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And it says in verse 21, at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. And so he replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And so they went back and they told John that he really had proclaimed the true Messiah. You see, back here in our passage in John chapter 1, it says there in verse 6, there was a man who was sent from God. That word sent is not just a generic kind of, of verb in the original language that just said, hey, just get out there and go, you know, just get, get out there on your way, hey, you know, get out there and be active. It, it, it's the same root word that we translate when you find the word in the New Testament, apostle, for the 12 apostles, those 12 disciples that were the first to follow with Jesus. It's the same root word. It means that you've been sent by an authority figure with a very specific work. It is that you've been, it, it, you didn't, it's not your mom telling you, get out of the house, meaning, I, you know, I don't care where you go, I just don't want you here right now. But rather, it is the commission of, I've got a very specific thing that I want you to do. And John is very specifically commissioned by God to do this work. And it says, and so he's sent for this really specific purpose. And then it says there in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light. And, and again, there's a little bit of helpfulness here 
to, to look at the original language because where it says he came as a witness to testify, the word in, in that sentence, the two words, witness and testify, are actually the same word in the Greek language. It's just that one is being used as a noun and one's being used as a verb. It could very easily be translated, he came as a witness witnessing. He came as a testifying testimony. He came, he came to tell as a teller. And, and so it is this very specific work that John has been given to witness and to testify about the light that really is coming into the world. And the reason is so that, so that all might believe through his testimony. When we get introduced to John the Baptist, we are getting introduced to the guy who came for the very express purpose. I mean, his whole life is wrapped around the idea that he is going to be a witnessing witness so that everybody would believe that the light of the universe, the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness, the light that penetrates is showing up on the earth so that everybody can believe. And so we get Jesus then showing up. So John the Baptist pointed to the light, but then very clearly what we have from the previous passage that we looked at last week and from this passage is that Jesus is the true light. Now there are a lot of things and systems of thought and people who claim to be the light, who claim to have insight who claim to have unlocked the mysteries of the universe. I mean, we got a whole section in Books a Million about it that, that you can go in for the self-help and the discovery and this person found the secret and this other person knows how to make the universe conspire in your direction. But Jesus is the one that it is claimed about that he really is the true light. This is what it says here in this, in this last verse, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And it's critical that we not gloss past this uh, because the incarnation of Jesus is, is transformative. It's radical. It is unlike anything else. There's, there's no other system of thought or belief that says that God leaves heaven to take up our injured flesh in order to live a perfect life, in order to be a sacrifice for our sins. There was some thought in the ancient world that every once in a while the, the demigods would come off of Mount Olympus or they would come out of whatever heavenly realm that they lived in and they would masquerade as a human for a little while, but basically it was to toy with us or to tinker with us, just kind of mess around with us uh, because they were never really nice anyway. But here what we have is the God of the universe who is saying, but he's the true light. N not a light that some people are going to get and others are going to be held back from. Not a light that only one sector or one ethnicity or one country is going to get, but everybody else is going to have to guess at. But he says it's the true light is coming into the world that gives light to everyone. There's nobody who gets excluded from the opportunity to see this light. And he is arriving into the world. This is, 
this radical transformation that's going to happen for people. If Every once in a while, I'll see blip across uh, a social media feed or in, on YouTube, one of these videos where a family will capture uh, where uh, somebody in their family is colorblind. And they've, they've lived with colorblindness their whole life. They have a certain type of, of color spectrum that they're able to see. You know, maybe it's primarily blues or maybe it's a, a just primarily kind of a, a grayscale existence that they've lived in. And, and there's a special kind of glasses that you can give to those people so that it will unlock the color spectrum for them. And every once in a while, you'll see one of these videos where for a birthday or for a Christmas or some special occasion, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll drag dad out. It always seems to be a dad. They'll drag dad out, you know, some big, tough, burly guy who's just kind of figured out that, you know, he needs, you know, granimal tags on his clothes or his wife's got to match everything up for him uh, before he walks out of the house with, you know, so he doesn't have on mismatched stuff. And they'll stand him outside in some field where it's some beautiful sunset, and then he'll open up a box that he has no idea what it is, and, and he'll place these glasses on his face, and, and suddenly you can see the, all of the tears streaming down his, down his face because the light has been unlocked to him. He, he now sees something that he never saw before. And this is who Jesus is. He has come so that everybody can have the light unlocked to them so that they can see what they never saw before. So John the Baptist points to this light that is Jesus the true light. So it would be good and interesting for us to do a historical, academic, biographical study of the life of John the Baptist, and maybe one of those these days I'll do that. But when I take these verses, John 1, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, I think about who John is. And I think about that critical turn of phrase in there, that, that John is sent, he is commissioned by God to be a witness who is witnessing so that everyone can believe. It, it, it really drives something into my heart about, well, what does this mean for us? Why, why does the, the gospel writer John, why does he get directed by the God of the universe to include this little description of John the Baptist here? And I think that there's some lessons for you and I about how this might affect our own living. Uh, let me give you a few ideas. Uh, number one is that I, I do have the suspicion and I have the conviction that God has an assignment for you. you know, a lot of us, we wander around wondering, you know, what is it I'm supposed to do with my life? And I don't think that that's by accident. I think that that, that is something very much birthed in our hearts and in our lives by the Spirit of God that is prodding and pressing that there is an assignment for you. Now, John's assignment is that, that he would be the one who would give this witness of the gospel. And we wonder, what is the purpose of our lives? And, and I think in a, in, a, in a sense for all of us that have already come into a relationship with Jesus, that one thing that we can very easily see within the witness of the Bible and what it teaches us is that as we are members of the body of Christ, that we all have a role. As Paul teaches about this idea later on in the New Testament to the Corinthian church, he uses this imagery that the church is a body. 
and, and some people are a hand, and some people are an eye, and some people are a foot, you know, and, and we all are parts of the body, and we recognize that Christ is the head, not just in a sense that he's in charge, but in this imagery, he's the head, he's the controlling, uh, directing part of the body of Christ. But we're all members there, and we all have a place and a part and a role to play within the work of the church. And so God has an assignment. The fact that God worked your whole life out so that you would be here in First Baptist Church of Bradenton, Florida, founded 128 years ago with a long and storied history of gospel witness and compassionate care and mission-mindedness and, and ministry to the community that he conspired to have you either born here or move here or get joined up by a friend to be a part of this particular church. I mean, that signals to me that he's got an assignment for each one of us within this local expression of the body of Christ, because every part has a purpose. But from a, an individual standpoint, it reminds me of what it says over in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in talking about our own salvation, it's, it's written here, "...for we are His workmanship." created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, look at that, ahead of time for us to do. This is not just that you get saved and suddenly the God of the universe is up in heaven scrambling around going, oh, what am I going to get Eddie to do? Oh, I, I, well, Claude just got saved. What am I going to get him to do? Oh, well, uh, you know, R Richard just got saved. i got to figure out what he's going to do. But from, from ahead of time, God had a plan and a purpose and assignments that, that I want you to recognize that, that you've got something rooted in eternity, that this is how much time and attention you get from the God of the universe that you were created and then you were recreated through salvation as the workmanship of God, crafted by Him, and you were created in Christ Jesus for the good works of the kingdom to care and to carry the gospel. And so discovering it, discovering what this purpose is, I don't think that it's necessarily complicated, but it does take commitment. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. It's not that it's a complicated process. It's a process of commitment. Do you want to commit your whole life to the work of God so that then He can direct you into the compassionate ministry of the gospel? Because what we see in, in John the Baptist's life is that God sent him. And I would say that being sent is always better than being stationary. Because we have a going and a giving God, so we should not be a stationary and sedentary people. And so being sent by God into the lives of your friends and of the lives of your neighbors and of the lives of your family, and maybe even if He sends you to some other part of the world, being sent is always better than just digging in your heels and saying, I'm not going anywhere, I'm just kind of comfy right here. And so this assignment that God has for you is so that we can glorify Him by serving others. I would also say 
secondly, as a, a lesson out of these verses, is that you have an identity that should be reflected in your activity. You have an identity that should be reflected in your activity. Now, the world is not just going to vie for your attention. Now, that's what we think a lot of times because we watch television and we see a gazillion, million, billion commercials. And, 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 and so we think that the world is vying for our attention. In, in marketing and in promotion, there's a brand new way that companies try to get your attention in putting ads in front of you. Have you ever been online and you went to maybe Amazon or you went to a, a Walmart website or you were shopping online for a particular item? And then while you're still browsing around, then you opened up Facebook and suddenly there's an ad for the very thing that you were working on, that you were looking for. Well, that's like on purpose, all right? <laughs> there are these people who program all that stuff to make ads chase you. I, I used to work for a company that we did this, that if you came to our website and you looked up a book and then you left our website and you hopped over to Facebook, that an ad for the book you were just looking for would pop up in your sidebar. That We did that. That's how advertising works. It chases you. And so a lot of times we get used to the idea of the world kind of vying and chasing after us for our attention, but I want you to not be fooled. The world does not want your attention. The world wants your allegiance. The world wants you. It doesn't want you just thinking about it. It wants you. But you're, and so if you let the world have you, then your activity is going to be defined by your identity. If you let your job have you, then all of the activity of your life is going to be wrapped around the identity of what I'm here for in life is to make money for my company or for myself. If you let a hobby define you, then all of your activity is all going to be around everybody seeing that that hobby has defined you. And as believers in Jesus, here is the beautiful thing, the gift that God has given us, is that our identity in Jesus then defines the activities of our lives. I mean, do you want your hobby of whatever it is, you know, making whatever thing or doing whatever it is, do you want that hobby to define all of your activity? Do you want your job defining all of your activity? Do you want your desire for fame and promotion to define all of your activity? Or do you want a new identity that you inherit from the God of the universe through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your salvation? Wouldn't you want that to be our, your identity? so that then suddenly all the activity of your life is defined by that. That's why it's so critical that we remember about John and that we can say about ourselves that we are witnessing witnesses. That's who we are. That's what we are. That's what we do, is that we become witnessing witnesses. We are people who are just pointing toward the light. We are people who are trying to usher others toward grace. Yeah, you know, I've used a, kind of a weird, funny phrase every once in a while about we as a church should be troublemakers for grace. 
you know, in our community, if you show a lot of grace, that's going to disrupt the normal flow of society and of culture because it's a dog-eat-dog-eat kind of world. It it is a, you know, be-in-it-for-yourself kind of world. It is a you-need-to-climb-the-ladder kind of world. It is a get-what-you-can, can-what-you-get-and-poison-the-rest kind of world. That was an Alabama term. I don't know if everybody understood that. But my preacher used to say, thank you. I see that testimony up there. Um, It is that kind of world. But God has called us to something so incredibly better that we get to be witnessing witnesses of the grace of God. It is what you were remade for in Jesus. And then I would say, thirdly, our greatest work is to help someone else believe. That's the greatest thing that you can do, is to help someone else believe. That's the greatest kind of so that that could be attached to your life, is that you help somebody else grow in the knowledge and the grace and the understanding and a relationship with the God of the universe. One of the more famous books that has been written over the last couple of decades was uh, authored by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. Some of you have probably read it. The very first sentence of The Purpose Driven Life goes like this. It's not about you. A a book that's about the purpose-driven life opening up with the sentence, it's not about you. It was pretty brilliant on Rick's part. And the purpose of our life is not that somehow we would be the big deal in the room. I want you to answer the question in your mind, who needs you to give a testimony of Jesus' saving power. Who do you know that you can be the witnessing witness to, the testifying testimony to? Who is the person that you know that needs the encouragement of Jesus' power to forgive and give hope and to heal? Because we're reconciled to God to be ministers of reconciliation. We are saved so that we can introduce others to salvation. We are redeemed so that we can offer the message of redemption. Ultimately, it is this question, what is your so that in life? What is your so that? And if you find yourself in a position where your so that is something that you really wouldn't want to have to write down on a poster and hold it up for the world to see well then, let's find a better so that. You know, John the Baptist, his so that was that he came as a, as a witness testifying about the light so that everyone could believe. That is the most worthy so that to have. And, and if, you, if, if you, if we, if I find ourselves in a position where it's hard to pick up the right so that in our lives, well, then it's time for us to to be awakened. It might be time for some of us to make a change and to repent and say, God, I've been doing the wrong stuff and I want to turn back towards you. For some of you, it could be that you would say, I've never had that so that in my life. I have always lived for myself. I have always tried to do everything on my own. I have been convinced that I could make God happy by doing lots of good stuff in life and being nice to people around me and being an upstanding citizen of society. But Jesus comes as the true 
light so that He could penetrate the darkness of our hearts and He could penetrate the sinfulness of our souls so that He could be the sacrifice that we all need standing in the gap that we all have in order to give us the opportunity for redemption. And if you have that, find somebody to tell. If you don't have that, today receive it with faith. There's one other uh, quote that I want to give to you from uh, my friend Jonathan Edwards. Uh, It's a little bit longer, but I think it'll be worth the moments that I'll take to read it. In one of his uh, uh, messages, he gave a lot of sermons, a lot of lectures. When I think about the so that that I want to aspire to in life, uh, Dr. Edwards often has helped me. He said this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature on the earth. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations that we can have here. It is better than our fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any and all earthly friends. These are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These are but small streams. But God is the fountain. These are but drops. But God is the ocean. And I want to invite you today to step headlong into God's ocean of grace. Let's pray together. Father, it is by your grace.